Well, welcome to Community Quest episode 270. I am your Xenoblade addicted host, Mike Caps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, a true hero and dragon slayer who is now uh, following the trails in the sky. Nice. Nice, nice. Did nice. I send you that ridiculous screenshot that the <laughs> Dragon yeah. Slayer produced? Uh, which one? Was it the, the legendary weapon one? No, no, different one. No, I don't think so. So when you get to the end of the game in the English version, it, uh, it has like a thing in the credits. Let me pull this up for you. Um, yeah, uh, I'll send it to you on Discord. But it specifically, after the credit says, thanks for playing this game, and remember, you are now a real genuine hero, a dragon slayer. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, God. Yeah, so I finished that. Cool. That last week. It's now on the trails in the sky. Yeah, uh, there is there is no English translation whatsoever. Legend of Heroes Two, which is a like direct sequel uh, to Legend of Heroes One, like you played some of the first game for Dagonus. Yeah, uh, and all the tra- the translation for three, four, and five are bad. So. Okay then. <laughs> huh? I said okay then. So on to the good stuff. Uh, I'd I'd love to play like. Legend of Heroes 2 and uh, the, I forget what the trilogy of 3, 4, and 5 is called. I forget. Something. Uh, Gagarv or something. Yeah. But it's not like, I, I can't imagine sitting through that much of Bondi's extremely Ugh. low budget localization. I have those sitting on top of my Legend of Heroes stack. One of those is just endless. Extraordinarily rare two UMD PSP games. Jeez. Uh, also, they released them in the wrong order in the US for some reason. Who knows? I'm sure they had their reasons. I'm sure they weren't very good. Um, but yeah. So I started it on Trails in the Sky. I'm almost at chapter two that like nothing could be more indicative of the kind of nonsense that is uh, what kind of time commitment Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky is than the fact that it's approximately 90 minutes to two hours of gameplay before you enter the prologue. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Just like... You keep you you know you have to go through uh, the first handful of quests and then like you finally get a chapter opening screen and it's prologue. <laughs> uh, I always wanted to finish to finish that game and it was very good. It's just endlessly distracted and it's very long. Yeah, and there's two and a half, three trails in the sky games depending upon how you're counting. Yeah story concludes in second chapter but the third is like an epilogue that helps set up the uh, it helps set up the uh, later games like the crossbow games and presumably to some degree the cold steel games but yeah uh, so I, I'd wager on like because I'm doing a thing where it's like I try to get all the bracer points uh, because uh, the entire game is framed around, is like the quest system is framed around, oh, you're the racer, which is basically code for professional adventurer, who <laughs> goes around like helping people. And so you have, there's like a point system for 
what rank of bracer you are, and you get rewards for getting the higher ranks in uh, higher bracer ranks. So uh, I'm trying to get as many of those as I can, which is apparently perfectly doable in first chapter and a complete absolute pain in the ass in the second. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's fun. But still in first chapter, still a fun game. Uh, yeah. Everyone's charming. Uh, I really appreciate how obvious it is that this shares an engine with uh, E6. <laughs> oh, it's it's super, super obvious. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is just... You were just reusing all the tech yeah. here. <clears throat> but, you know, it's it still... I, I think it looks very... Uh, it, it's got a look that holds up very well. The sprites are charming and the uh, 3D is very... Uh, utilitarian and functional in a yeah. way that you know, doesn't end up looking bad as it ages. Yeah, I really, yeah. I really like the combat system. I remember um, when those first started coming over, seeing some people talking about like, "Oh, you're really playing this for the story and not the combat," and it was not my experience at all, actually. Yeah, like I, I'm more interested in the story, but like the combat is hardly a weak link. Here. Yeah, it's definitely like, not. It's it's interesting because it's like it does have the it ha has a strong positioning element uh, to to a much greater degree than a, a typical RPG, but it it's set up in such a way as to try to make sure that the positioning element is usable without being uh, overbearing in a like simple random encounter. Yeah, so like that's that's the thing that often comes up with like when you have these like pseudo strategy RPG elements in a uh, in a normal RPG is that like in turn like in turn for being more complicated the battles are inherently more laborious so uh, frequent random battles become more of a problem uh, there are no random battles in this like just just to be clear but you know frequent battles become more of a problem so in this case uh, if you just hit attack, your character is just going to make a beeline to smack the enemy, so you don't have to think about positioning unless you are specifically trying to position yourself. Which is a, a useful wrinkle that also keeps the game from being too slow. And yeah, I've, I've been playing the PC version uh, because, I mean, I have it lying around. Digging out my PSP would be uh, unbridled, unvarnished, mi unvarnished misery at this stage. <laughs> um, and I don't think the third ever came out on PSP anyway. It did not. Uh, in the US, I should say. It did not. Uh, in Japan, I'm sure that it did, but... Yeah. So, uh, you know, waist deep in uh, trails in the sky, first chapter... Uh, just about the end of chapter one, like I said, there are, I believe, like five chapters, essentially. Uh, prologue, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and final chapter. So, it should be... And then, of course, yeah, the, the, the irony of being in uh, of the game, a game explicitly called Trails in the Sky, first chapter... That is also split into chapters. It's not lost on me either. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, very charming. Uh, like Estelle as a protagonist is. Uh, you, you don't often get uh, female protagonists in JRPGs of this nature, and you don't often get them. Uh, cut from the exact same mold as the typical uh, as the typical shonen protagonist idiot that usually ends up as the protagonist of JRPGs. So yeah. Hey, Fireman. Oh, hey, Fireman. So despite being, <laughs> relatively speaking, uh, relatively speaking, a fairly uh, archetypal character, she has that uh, additional wrinkle, which is fun. Uh... But yeah, so uh, continue. you're just going to be hearing about trails probably for the next fair while uh, because like I'm reasonably determined to make sure that I do a straight shot through trails in the sky 
And by the time that I'm done with that, the first of the Crossbell games will probably be out. Mm. So that'll be fun. I have a giant stack of those, and it's only getting bigger, and I'm still in Trails of the Sky Part 1. And didn't you finish Cold Steel 1 at some stage? Maybe? Nope. Oh, God. Nope, still stuck on that one. Stuck in oh, some Haunted Mansion part. It's a really hard boss. Fireminer <laughs> asks if RP Gamer has done a deep dive on how popular anime of the time influenced different Trails games. Uh, I don't think yeah, anyone, don't think so. that I'm, to my knowledge, has like, sat down and wrote that out. Um, We've certainly talked about those games a lot on the site. Oh yeah, 100%, but I don't know that that's ever been like the core premise of the discussion. It's it's fairly uh, plain to see, uh, although especially with Trails in the Sky, it almost feels like uh, at the time of release it was a bit of a relic of like uh, a slightly older period of anime. But... Uh, and that, that gives it some charm, especially now, because it's like, this is a mid-aughts JRPG that feels like a late 90s JRPG in a lot of ways. Uh, and then, you know, as you get further into them, they kind of modernize uh, more explicitly to the point where you reach Cold Steel, which was a very modern, uh, like, teenage uh, pop culture sort of JRPG, but yeah, um, but yeah, uh, the the one good the, the bright spot bright spot for me is just the fact that uh, once I get through uh, the first Crossbell game, I always forget what order those come in. I want to say it's Trails from Zero is the first one. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. Um, the bright spot for me is that once that once I get through that, I will have like a logical break point to take a to take a break from these. <laughs> Which is not to say that I'm not uh, that I'm not looking forward to playing, uh, uh, you know, Cold Steel or whatever. But like, if I didn't have the excuse of when to take a break, I would die <laughs> because. <laughs> Uh, let's see, how many games would that make it to play through in a marathon context? Trails in the Sky 1, second chapter, the third, from Trails from Zero, Trails in Azure, uh, Trails of Cold Steel 1, 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, that would be nine games uh, to play in a row, and all of them are like, best case scenario for you or JRPGs, so I would yep. die. And then, of course, what? Uh... What's the Hajimari no Kiseki? What do they decide they're going to call that in English? Uh, Is that the action one? No, that's Nayota. Uh, Hajimari no Kiseki is the epilogue game to both the Crossbow games oh, and the okay. Gotcha. Uh, and yeah, Hajimari no Kiseki is being released as Trails into Reverie. Uh, but yeah, uh, Boundless Trails uh, is the one that you were thinking of. Uh, in, in Japan, it was Naita no Kiseki. Uh, in English, it's being released as Legend of Naita, uh, Boundless Trails. And I don't know how that fits into anything. I don't know if it's even as far as I can tell, set in the same world as anything else with Trails in its name. Mm -hmm. Which is weird. Yeah. Because that's the, that is the thing about Trails that, like, binds it as, oh, these aren't just additional Legend of Heroes games, they are all interrelated because they are all in the same world. Uh, I was talking to a friend who has played all of these goddamn things, and he was saying that, like, yeah, uh, I believe as of, like, Kuro no Kiseki, uh, e either Kuro or uh, the end of the Cold Steel games, like those would take place like eight, uh, six to eight years after uh, the Sky games. 
So yeah, I have, I have no idea what's going on with that. Uh, Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, so, uh, Night on the Future Key did just get its own release uh, in, uh, you know, uh, another re-release in Japan for Switch. Huh. And it is a uh, notable title on the basis of it is the first uh, game from Falcom on the Switch that was actually developed by Falcom. Like, they made it themselves. Huh. Hopefully it turned out uh, well. I, I would imagine it, what it did. It's a part of a PlayStation Portal game. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, they, they keep, like, gesturing at how they want to uh, ramp up Switch development. Uh, their intention seems to be to do, uh, like, they keep talking about how they're trying to get uh, Kudono Kiseki running on the Switch. Which is that the is... newest one? Yeah, the, okay. the new ones are Kudono Kiseki 1 and 2. And I'm inclined to say that they, like, relative to Cold Steel, underperformed. In part mm. because they were PS4 specific. Like, there was no, there was yeah. basically nothing else to play them on. Uh, and so they seem keen on trying to get those onto other platforms to recoup them. But yeah, uh, and I want to say Hajimari no Kiseki is also uh, getting like an in-house switch port. Let me check. Um... Oh no, wait, that one already happened, so they must have partnered with like... Oh yeah, it was Clouded Leopard they partnered with. Okay. The Trails games are huge in like China and Korea. But, yeah. Uh, but I think we're getting that version, thankfully. So. Because uh, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, Boundless Trails. Not Boundless Trails. Trails into Reverie has been announced, and I think we've got an official announcement of that coming here. But yeah. Uh, which is always a question with. Uh, And yeah, Fireman is saying that uh, Kudo is seven or uh, yeah, seven or eight years after uh, Sky Two. But yeah, uh, I I, I want to say uh, so. So one of the things that's always like uh, in question about. about anything with uh, Clouded Leopard's involvement is that uh, like they, they seem to work very closely with uh, they, they seem to work very closely with uh, Falcom. They seem to have a very close relationship, but like none of their work has ever found its way to the West. Uh, they did, I want to say that they were responsible for like the at least some versions of like Trails in the Sky, the Trails in the Sky Evolution games. Uh, let me double check that to make sure that I am not telling a ridiculous lie. Uh, but yeah, like they were they were involved with uh, at least some releases of that. I want to say. But yeah, we never got any version of that, which has caused people to be very concerned, essentially, about uh, whether that's, you know, whether anything involving the their mm. involvement ever comes here. But uh, Hajimari no Kisuke Trails into Reverie has been announced uh, for an English release on both uh, PS4 and Switch, so... Which is also like like we're probably getting the I think the Windows version, like which Clouded Leopard also did, is probably coming to the US. I don't know that that was actually announced, but I mean it'd be ridiculous if it didn't. So I assume they did. Yeah, twenty twenty three is like the the year of catch up, like this year and next year, because like twenty twenty three is supposed to be both Trails into Azure and uh, Trails into Reverie, which is going to mean that. 
once uh, once they release Trails into Azure, I have to go into Overdrive again for some reason. <laughs> because once they release Trails into Azure, I have to play. Well, I have to play <laughs> Trails into Azure, then the Cold Steel games, so that I can be ready to play <laughs> Trails into Reverie. Oh God! So I'm going. So I will die. Be for for all those listening and being like, wait, I wanted him to die. Don't worry, I will. <laughs> it's okay. We can cheer each other on playing those games, or just cry. Of course, you're gonna have to start. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have some progress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the other thing I was gonna say is I've been playing the PC version of Trails in the Sky and the addition of the speed up function is, is genuinely like a very nice thing to have in that game. Uh, the, those ports are actually quite good. Um, the uh, There's essentially the ability to uh, decide which whether to use uh, doubled or quadrupled speed uh, uh, separately for battles and for uh, running around, so like running around at double speed feels pretty good, uh, but you know quadruple speed would be ridiculous. So I don't have that turned on. But quadruple speed for battles, I mean, if you're just trying to get through a battle, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> so that's that's definitely a huge help. Uh, but yeah, it would be nice to see uh, some of the games that uh, absolutely do have. Uh, uh, games that absolutely do have switch ports, but which we will never see any of them because of the uh, contentious legal rights of who owns what translation and version. Uh, I want to say that there are switch ports of uh, some of the uh, some of these older games that. Uh, okay, Sky definitely doesn't. I want to say, did, I think Cold Steel One and Two in Japan got Switch ports, but because like XC slash Mar, yeah. So Trails of Cold Steel One has a Switch port in Japan, that I believe. Uh, it's probably a case of Clouded Leopard did this, but who knows? Uh, but yeah, there there is a there are switch ports of one and two in Japan, but Xseed owns like the rights to localization. They're not interested, uh, so we're just never going to get those. Ugh. I'll probably play the PC versions of Cold Steel one and two, and then jump to the Switch versions of Cold Steel three and four. Seems like a good idea. It's just the most likely way that I'll actually get to get them done. Yeah. It's gonna make me get abs. I'm gonna be absolutely wrecked by the like whiplash of trails in the sky on PC, trails uh, into trails from zero and trails into Azure on Switch, trails of Cold Steel one and two <laughs> on PC, trails of Cold Steel four on Switch, uh, three and four on Switch. Uh, so I'm going to die. Reconnection successful. Okay. Okay. Um, I've been playing mostly Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which is very good. Um, I had to, was doing an optional side quest, quote unquote optional. Got stuck in a boss, so I finally just switched the difficulty down to normal and beat it. Uh, but that's kind of my big complaint. My only complaint with the game so far is. The, I think they need to do some patchwork on the difficulty settings. Because hmm, normal is too easy and hard can be too hard. <laughs> we get a, can we get like a super normal? <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know, some granularity or I, I don't know. Just something, something feels off. Like I think I talked about this earlier because it happened early on in the game. Like some early fights before you can switch characters and stuff felt absolutely impossible on hard. 
and we're mm-hmm. in a complete and utter breeze on normal. It's not such a dark dif- stark difference now, but it can be at times. So I'd be shocked if this something's a, a little wonky. Like they, I would be shocked if just based on the complexity of the game, they didn't tune normal mode to be fairly easy. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I mean, other than that, the story is very interesting. The whole premise is neat, but you know, it's it's always been the case with these games. Uh, I'm having to push out my attempt to finish the Xenoblade series into 2025 because of <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so the interesting thing is, so the first two games obviously involved worlds on Titans. Like, uh, mm-hmm. the first game was obviously the two adjacent Titans, and two was a bunch of them flying in the sky. So this one, there's no mention of them, but there was one area I was in that was something shoulder. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And there's, like, a mountain with a face, so um, there's definitely something going on. We'll see... You know what Perhaps the story the Titans, does with, with it. The Titans have crashed to the ground, and they're just running along, and their corpses have become part of the environment. Maybe, or it could be a sequel to certain games where the Titans are kind of gone by the end of it. I don't know. Um, okay. It's definitely going to be connected to the past games because they always do that. Uh, but we'll also, see. There's a big old Monado around. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, how exactly it connects, whether it's set in the same like world as one of the other two games or a third world. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I'm glad that's going well. This is really weird watching you play this <laughs> mobile game. On, on your stream. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I'm having to, like, I, I'm enjoying hearing about Sonoblade, but also, uh, as mentioned, I'm having to, I, I cannot commit to uh, two extremely foolhardy uh, attempts to catch up on a series known for, like, the opposite of brevity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Sonoblade Chronicles games are not short by design. Which is another thing I forgot to bring up is there is uh, a whole I don't know let's call it a to do oh, on Twitter. Yes. Games are too long. Games should be shorter. And my my argument is games should be the the length that makes sense for each game. The game should be as long as it has interesting content. Right. And the comparison I like to make is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles games generally have a ton of content that justify a long runtime. You may not like it, but there's nothing wrong with a game like that existing and someone wanting to make a game like that and people wanting to play a game like that. I'm sorry that you know I feel it that a lot of people don't necessarily have the time to commit to a game like that, but... You don't have to play every game. To, yes, exactly. Too long, just don't play it. And it doesn't mean that every game needs to be short. And yeah. also, short games aren't bad. If this is what makes sense for that time frame, then that's fine. Like Hades, one of one of my Hades, one of uh, one RP gamers RPG of the year. I think I put about. 50 hours into that, which is actually kind of small for like a roguelike that you can replay a bunch of times. Hmm. And that was fine. It worked. You know, I've played really sh- short games and it was fine and it worked. It's just whatever... You know, you, if you play a game it's some games feel too short, some games feel too long and some games feel just right and uh, two Xenoblade games in, it feels fine for those to be long. They tell long stories. It does not make sense for that game to be short. I'm sorry. 
Fireminer asks, uh, what makes an offline MMO successful? Why are Xenoblade and uh, Hack successful, but Sword Art Online failed? Because, uh, well, partly because Sword Art Online uh, does not have, like, probably a third the budget of something yeah. like Xenoblade. But, also, um, Xenoblade is not an offline RPG. Can we not call it that, please? An offline MMO. Yeah, yeah an it, offline it has MMO. influence from those uh, yeah. contexts. Uh, but I would say to to maybe speak to the the nature of the question is uh, that uh, Dot Hack and Xenoblade are bo- have both used elements of the MMO template, uh, very different elements and in very different uh, fashions. But neither of them is trying to simulate the gameplay concept of an MMO. Yeah. Uh, they're both using like dot hack is imitating the form of an mmo in order to tell a story about the kinds of people who play mmos uh xenoblade is using the uh some of the mechanical underpinnings of how mmos function in order to uh may you make a greater efficiency of gameplay uh, design choices that are built around enormous uh, scope. Like, a lot of the choices made by Xenoblade are similar to MMOs because both are built on this idea of breadth and scope, and you need to build efficiency into breadth and scope. Uh, or else they become obnoxious. So, like, the way that quests present and uh, resolve, or the way that combat encounters uh, present and resolve, is uh, inspired by MOs in the sense that it was them taking an understanding of what scope of that size requires in order to not immediately become arduous and tedious. Whereas something like Sword Art Online is the form of uh, the, the look of an MMO, but not the but with no meaningful commentary on what that is and without like the breadth and scope of a Xenoblade. It's, it's just the look because it's, it's not really an, an MMO simulation. It's a, it's a game meant to uh, draw in the license, which is again, a story about people playing an MMO, but not one about like, not one with meaningful commentary on what it means to be the kind of person who spends a lot of time playing MMOs. <laughs> So it's, you know, it's fundamentally single player and it's fundamentally uh, built around that. But, you know, you're looking at Xerox of Xerox uh, taking the form, but, uh, you know, given the nature of low budget anime adaptation RPGs, I I can't even really blame them for not uh, really appealing outside of people who already play Sword Art Online. It's very rare that you get something it's an anime license, a licensed RPG of any sort that is appealing to people who do not already care about the license. I'm trying to think of examples. Uh, KOTOR and uh, I suppose technically uh, stuff like Baldur's Gate because those are D&D licensed, but I mean, that's kind of iffy to even hold up there uh, just because the license in that context is so loose. Uh, but I can't think of like the, the fairy tale RPG is quite good. Yeah. By all accounts. Uh, but it's, it's super rare. Um, that new one piece game might be one that manages to hit this as well. Uh, you heard about this one, right? Um, one piece odyssey. Yeah. It's the one being made by Ilka, the people that did the Pokemon uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl remakes. Uh, oh, hey, Motori. I, I, I was trying to think, is this actually an RPG? Do we know? And then I looked at like the soundtrack by Motori Sakuraba, and it's like, <laughs> oh, it must be. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's one that might end up uh, I think being another one that could theoretically uh, reach people uh, outside of the One Piece audience uh, if it's marketed properly. Uh, man, 
it is it is weird to see <laughs> a uh, One Piece RPG that is going to be releasing almost entirely on platforms that don't have a great deal of presence in Japan. Because <laughs> like it's coming out on PS4, which is successful, but not the biggest not the biggest in Japan. Like it's it, that's the platform that has the biggest presence in Japan uh, as far as these go. The other platforms are PS5, Windows, Xbox One, and Xbox Series. <laughs> Imagine being like the one Japanese player who purchases One Piece Odyssey for Xbox One in Japan. Oh my god. Just the loneliest person on the planet. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, let's see thing Firemeyer says one thing I like about Dota Hack is that it tried to simulate an actual crowd playing in MMO and you have to stick with your friends to win. You can just solo so many modern MMOs. Yeah, like because Dot Hack is really built around like fundamentally, thematically, it's built around the communities that animate MMOs. And so if if it were possible to play that game uh, as a solo character, it would be a fundamental uh, failure on its part, and especially in GU, where like the whole point is also that uh, that Haseo is a mistrustful person who does not uh, who is unwilling to like he's famous for soloing at the start of the game <laughs> for running around level one hundred and thirty three and fighting, uh, killing people entirely solo is like, you know, kind of his MO and he needs to grow out of that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the fundamental design is also built into this idea of uh, you know, creating a just good enough facsimile of community. And I think that it's honestly a remarkable achievement in how much that it understands the exact point it needs to reach to feel like it has that sense of community without overscoping, trying to pursue uh, more than that. But I have rhapsodized about that hack many, many times. Mm -hmm. And I will again someday, but not at all. Yeah. Um, as as is often the case with things, uh, the fundamental uh, thing that separates uh, games that successfully are able to incorporate elements is to incorporate or simulate elements from other genres is an understanding of what those elements are actually meant to do. And thus, what parts of them are worth taking. So, you know, that's that's kind of like why you'll see uh, elements of how MMOs function in something like Xenoblade, even though Xenoblade is not even attempting to do what MMOs do, but it understands why it has them and uh, what it can learn from them, even though it's using them for entirely different ends. Video games. Vidges. Uh, oh, I had a... This isn't super related, but it's something I was thinking about since I was uh, playing... Uh, well, since I was <laughs> framing yesterday with a friend. Uh, it was uh, very funny to me realizing uh, how much of the game Brave Prince and Musashi I have committed to memory. Just completely uh, unbidden, uh, capable of remembering basically everything that happens in that game and in what order. <laughs> <laughs> you ever play that one, Wales? Uh, not too much. I think I rented it back in the day. I never had my own copy. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. Like, it's one of my favorite PS One games on the basis of that it kind of represents everything I like about PS One game design, because 
it it was Square's push at making like a sort of Zelda-esque action RPG, but uh, full of weird extraneous subsystems <laughs> that represented like just weird aspects of simulation. So you had uh, a day-night cycle and a calendar system that cycles through Monday, Wednesday, th- uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Sky Day, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and the game keeps track of how much, uh, like, it's, it's constantly counting the calendar forward day after day after day. And uh, because of how that's set up, uh, there are... <laughs> There are healing items that are cheap because they are food, and food goes bad. And there are healing items that uh, are expensive because they are uh, pharmaceuticals, and the pharmaceuticals do not go bad. So you <laughs> get like if you you can buy things like bread or fruit to heal yourself uh, to keep in your inventory. But the longer it sits in your inventory, the more likely it is to, over enough time, go bad and cease to be a useful healing item. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or they can they can turn into some really they, there's some strange things that can happen. Uh, if you buy milk, it will eventually spoil, <laughs> and then over time it turns into yogurt. Interesting. Uh, which actually is good again. Like it's not the best healing item, but it is significantly better than uh, what it was when it was spoiled milk. Uh, that's a game with a sleep system. You have a tiredness meter at all that goes up as you run around, and eventually you either will be forced to fall asleep or will just find that you can barely move without uh, just going to sleep. There's a button dedicated to just falling asleep wherever you happen to be. Nice. Uh, but unless you actually sleep in a bed, you won't ever get to 0% tired. You can only get to 20% tired. <laughs> Unless you go to the trouble of forging the legendary blanket, which allows you to sleep till you are no longer tired. Huh. It's a very silly game. I love it. Um, oh, yeah, you can buy action figures uh, and play with them. But also, you can only... <laughs> so dumb, I love this. Uh, you can also use them in, as investments. You can buy them and then never open them. And that's uh, and over time they will appreciate in value, <laughs> and you can sell them back, but only if you never opened them. If you ever played with them, you're not what allowed. Wow, you're not allowed to sell them anymore. What's the what's the issue? You looking for healing? Yes, <laughs> of course. But yeah, I love Brave Panther Musashi so much. Yeah, it's always one I wanted to get around to, and didn't, you know, too many games. Yeah. Although yeah, less less at the time of its release, but still, there were still a lot of games. I mean, that was a packed year for Square. That was 1998. Yeah. Uh, also, Fire says the only game that does item change in your inventory that I could think of is Bakhtai. Yeah, it's a pretty rare thing because it requires you to have a constantly moving forward calendar that can yeah. keep track of when the item was purchased and uh, how far that is from where it is now. <laughs> And usually that's just considered a yeah. pain, so they don't bother. I think Sheeran kind of had a system like that, where the longer you were in the dungeon, like your rice balls start to go bad. Yeah, they do eventually go bad. Yeah. In Sheeran, uh, and yeah, like the you know, there's there's a little bit of that. Uh, the the more funny elements of Mystery Dungeon. That game's uh, also incredible because, and this is this is weird because it's mostly an extremely lighthearted like. Dragon Ball esque uh, levels of eh, whatever, uh, but uh, there's one there's one chapter that's like the horror chapter, uh, where like oh there are like zombie vampires marauding the town, and like a kid gets bitten, you have to uh, go find the uh, the shit necessary to uh, save his life so that he doesn't turn into a zombie vampire. Um, but the thing that's extremely fucked up is that there's a bit uh, near uh, there's a bit during that where you have to uh, where like Musashi's going to get one one of the things that's needed and uh, one of the other uh, one of the adults in the village is like okay I'll go try to get the other thing Uh, he goes off and tries to get it if you do not uh, help him 
uh, with I forget what the uh, context is, but I believe it is possible for him to just die. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the inn owner, and he like he goes off to try to help. Uh, but if you fuck up in some fashion, he just dies in the process and replaced <laughs> by his more surly brother. Which is a little fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fucked up. But yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I fucking love that game. Uh, anyone who likes uh, PS1 games that are perhaps a little too ambitious... Uh, go uh, see what you can do about getting uh, hold of uh, Brave Fancy Musashi on PS1. It's still a lot of fun. I want to play it now, damn it. I played the hell of a demo of it forever, and when I finally got access to I think I rented the full version, I just never got around to getting back to it. Uh, it's also uh, got a surprisingly good dub given its vintage. Like it's a very it, it's a nineteen ninety eight game and it's got tons of voice acting and it's using a lot of uh, the kinds of people you would hear in a nineties anime dub. But mm. mo- for the most part, they sound pretty good. And also, it's a relatively early uh, might it might be his first game role uh, role for Steve Bloom. Huh. Uh, so yeah, a lot, lot of fun. Big, big fan. Still love it. Uh, I was, I was basically a friend is streaming it, and I was like, just patiently guiding him every time he got lost, <laughs> which is where I was realizing, oh, I remember everything about this game. Uh, I, I think the best thing I can say for it is that way back in the day, I got to the final dungeon and I saved. But once you go in the final dungeon, you can't go back. And I found that I could not complete it without getting, uh, without with the healing items that I had. So I went back and played through the entire thing again, and it didn't. I wasn't even mad. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's always yeah. a good sign. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, just was thinking about that game. Everyone played Brave Fantasy Musashi. It's like 15 hours long, I think. It's not too bad. Just long enough to get the full picture without overstaying its welcome. Good stuff. Um, let's see, there's no new questions in the Discord, so I'm going to pull out a couple from the... We're probably going to be, uh, since Firemire's uh, watching, I'll just say we're probably going to do a slightly uh, shorter... Uh, cast than usual because Gaijin's not here and we're tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, let's pull this up. Pull this up, pull it up. Which go, which go. Okay. Okay, okay. This this question maybe since Fireminers if Fireminers still here, you can clarify what the hell this is talking about. Uh our game launcher is a complete waste of time. I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> uh, game launchers? I, I assume it's like the Bethesda launcher that just got discontinued or that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, those are a waste like, of time. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're wasting everyone's time. And, yeah. You know, if you're going to sell your, if you're going to have like your fucking storefront or whatever, it's like, whatever, I'll deal with it. I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't be able to have your own storefront or whatever but like as a launcher it's just like i get it it's a data data harvesting scam you're trying to do that shit but oh my god hate you for doing it yeah that's that's maybe one of the best things that came out of microsoft buying bethesda is those going is the bethesda launcher going away (laughs) Uh, Games that are technically better but make less impact, like Splinter Cell to MGS2. I would argue that MGS2 is also a better game, but if you're talking about like raw technical prowess, then yeah, I suppose technically it was a uh, stronger showcase of what Xbox hardware could do. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, we see a lot of these basically every year, like, games that are technically better. Uh, games that are technically better than whatever their predecessor was. But, like, I mean, even if we're talking about contemporaneous ones, like, you know, good enough isn't good enough for memory, for keeping people, uh, keeping people's attention in terms of long-term memory. It has to have done something. Mm. <laughs> hey, sister. Mm. Clearly just checking in to see if you've fallen asleep yet. Oh, for sure. Sure. Should just just to taunt you. Yes, I should just turn off the camera. <laughs> That's the coward. Then you're going to have to listen <laughs> to hear if I fall asleep. Well, like, you don't snore, at least as far as I can tell. At least not enough that your mic picks it up. So I think it would just mean that we would just have to listen for how long it is. For when we reached like the fifteen minute mark of you not saying anything and yeah. just blathering into the void. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like games that were like particularly technically impressive that simply no one still cares about, <laughs> or at least that care people care way less about than other things. Uh, Uh, I can think of a completely random one. What's that? Uh, the last Killzone game, to me, is the yeah, only Killzone one. Killzone in general is kind of the archetypal franchise. Yeah. But the last uh, one was like them just throwing a bunch of ideas at the wall, but it was really cool. But, you know, at that point, no one had cared about that series for a long time. So... I mean, yeah, like, because Killzone was the archetypal thing. Like, Killzone existed because of Sony's, like, profound mid aughts uh, Halo envy. Like, I don't, I don't think it's possible to overstate how badly Sony wanted to have a Halo in 2004. Because mm-hmm. uh, Killzone exists, but also, uh, I've, I've been uh, looking back at the. Uh, Ratchet Clank games, and you look at those and it's like, wait a minute, the reason like those turn into Halo over time for some <laughs> reason, to the point where you get to the fourth one, Ratchet Deadlock. That's just like this is just a Halo knockoff. What happened? They really wanted uh, Halo. They really wanted it. They wanted it so bad. Mm. Uh, and of course, like they bought Guerrilla Games the second that there was any hype around Killzone. Like instantly, they snapped it up because they wanted Halo, and then Killzone could just—it just never had the the cachet. It was super technically impressive. It was a gorgeous-looking game for its time, and like it sold plenty, and no one cared—not a single person. Like I, I've met the occasional Killzone fan. There are Killzone fans that exist. They are not—they—they they are loyal. They are not Legion. <laughs> it is. A, it is an out-of-sight, out-of-mind game for the vast majority of the yeah. players in a way that Halo was not. It did not have like that stickiness that Halo did. And yeah, like Horizon, you know, for, for whatever else anyone thinks about it, like that is a franchise people care about as a franchise. Yeah. Because it's not impressive in, in many other ways. <laughs> Just being mean for the sake of it. Um, yep. But yeah, uh, that, that's a that's a that's a prime example of this kind of thing where it's like this is super technically impressive. Also, who gives a shit? Mm. Uh, but yeah, there, there's plenty of games like that. Like the the world is littered with the the forgotten uh, AAA excesses of yesteryear. <laughs> Uh, trying to think of like you know you, you don't run into a lot of them like uh, they they uh, Fireminer brings up uh, Splinter Cell versus MGS2 and I think that MGS2 in general has had a more lasting impact a longer uh, cultural tale in part because it's like at the time considered harebrained and ridiculous plot has become thematically more relevant over time uh, whereas uh, 
people still, Splinter Cell still, Splinter Cell still commands a strong fan base, a hardcore uh, fan base. But also, its plot is uh, a jingoistic Tom Clancy slurry. And so, uh, that like rapidly fell directly out of date because it was a game uh, that was, uh, in terms of its plotting, uh, basically, so 2002 it hurts. <sighs> trying to think of other ones. Uh, one that... <laughs> this is just going to be mean, because uh, clearly uh, Fireminer uh, likes, the, likes this game, at least to some extent, but uh, one of the ones that's coming to mind is uh, Prototype, which was a technically impressive game, had a lot of buzz at the time, just forgotten entirely. <laughs> Uh, other than yep. you know a handful of fans, uh, you know, this, I constantly no forget that it exists. There's yeah. Whereas like you would compare it to something like uh, Infamous, which came out at the same time, which you know, not not the biggest fan base in the world, but still commands a fairly loyal fan base. When Sucker Punch confirmed that they were not working on any sort of re-releases of Infamous or uh, Sly Cooper, there was a there was a like sadness in the air. <laughs> Um, Sony does this a lot because uh, they they aren't terribly loyal to old franchises. I would say so they're they're a little more prone to this. Uh, but one one that I would also bring up uh, that was like uh, hugely influential for about four years there and. Uh, you know, technically considered fairly impressive at the time, and has essentially no modern constituency whatsoever, is Twisted Metal. Mm. Like, they're trying to revive that now as a TV show. I don't... I, I have no idea what the audience but, for such a show is at this age. So the thing about it is, from everything I've ever heard of someone who had... from people who were uh, dealing with, like, Sony uh, as press apparatuses uh, up even into the early 2010s was that within Sony there was like at least to some extent this is like seemingly severe overestimation of like cultural fondness uh, retained cultural fondness for Twisted Metal like you keep seeing uh, the occasional attempt to bring back like Sweet Tooth or whatever in like various contexts. Like he'll always show up whenever they're like bringing up their old franchises because you know uh, it's one of the earliest PlayStation franchises. And it's like, well, I, 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 I've, I've talked about this before. I think it's one of the funniest things on the planet that Sony, because of uh, it's one of the few PS1 franchises that was synonymous with the PS1, they owned Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Whenever they're talking about early PS1 successes, they end up having to talk about, like, ah, uh, yes, iconic PlayStation character, Sweet Tooth, and it's like, this motherfucker is the most 1995 creation imaginable. Like, oh, man, what if a clown was fucked up? Man, really? really? <laughs> Pulling my leg. I can't even imagine. Oh God, what if I can't a clown. imagine a clown that was evil. Incredible. God, there's like a... I was. This was another one that I was like looking up uh, info on because I was like watching playthroughs of the older Twisted Metal games, and the last time they tried to bring one of those out was like 2012. It was a big old reboot. They spent a shit ton of money on it. Uh, it sold to essentially no one. Uh, they gave away like a bazillion copies of it from that 2012-2013 uh, like PSN hack. Uh, but uh, that was a game built around online multiplayer. That was supposed to be the thing that sold it. Was like it had a story mode, but like the online multiplayer was supposed to be the long tail that kept it going. And that uh, story mode, uh, that story mode is terrible uh, to start with. Uh, like badly balanced and also miserable to actually sit through because it is uh, the team and writers giving into all of their worst instincts about like we need to make this gritty and edgy. So it's like oh, no. okay, there are. There are three characters, and all of them are unrepentant sociopaths. Um, 
most notably the first third of the game is uh, spent playing as uh, Sweet Tooth and his like the, the theoretical endpoint of Twisted Metal Tournament is you win and like this evil genie man named Calypso is like I will grant you one wish for completing Twisted Metal <laughs> uh, and the thing that Sweet Tooth wants in that video game is, oh man, I'm really upset that I successfully killed my entire family except for my daughter. I want to go and kill my daughter. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I don't want to see how this man's story concludes. And like, his story concludes with he dies, but, uh, you know, it's also, I don't care. I don't want anyone involved in this to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, the, the thing that was a lot funnier to me was that the, the online multiplayer as released was essentially busted because it was com- it was a complete balance failure because they could not resist making uh, Sweet Tooth uh, way too fucking strong. There are like three viable vehicles and one of them Sweet Tooth and two of them are unlocked by finishing the story mode. <laughs> It's just like, why? I theoretically pitched this on, like, ah, yes, the the joy of... Uh, <laughs> theoretically, this was pitched on playing, uh, you know, playing a big, dumb car explosion game with your friends. And it's like, oh, but there's only one good... There's, like, three good vehicles, and one of them's the stupid murder plan. <laughs> Like that that's it's it's fascinating to watch that series because uh the ones made by the original team become just monomaniacally obsessed with uh I think the, the best way I could think of to describe it was uh David Jaffe's John Wayne Gacy Sonam. What? And if you can unpack that statement, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so that, that's another one that's like, those were hugely popular, influential at the time, completely like, no cultural memory of them. <laughs> uh, just beloved by dozens at this stage. Uh, uh, that's So Joe making fun of this game. I mean, it is a mobile game. Yeah, it's a mobile game. All right, I think we should wrap this thing up. Oh. Yeah, this probably good enough. We can. I, yeah. I'll need to sit down and like actually think about this next question anyway. So yeah, let's close this one out. Yeah, uh, Gaijin's not here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bit of plugging for him. Uh, since you probably missed Gaijin's uh, rapier with, I would recommend that you go check out his books, uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available uh, on Amazon via Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, or uh, paperbacks. Uh, they are uh, like, how best to describe this? Uh, uh, enjoy the uh, fictional exploits of a group of young girls playing uh, fictional, not quite d d Is that accurate? Yeah, You've read it is accurate. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the joy of listening to someone's d d sessions, but also uh, more, uh, with more sympathetic human beings involved and more char- actual character what's going on. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, those are available uh, on Amazon. Listed as Michael Yadimizu, Y A R I M I Z U, uh, because Michael ba- Baker is an ungoogleable name. But yeah, so give those a look. Uh, I'm sure that uh, anyone, any purchase, any review uh, always seems to put them in a good mood. So, you know, give those a look. You can, ma- you can make someone's week. Yeah, they're very good books. Yeah. And I still need to read them, but I, I, I'm so bad at time. So. Time is hard. Time is really hard. Yeah. I'm very stupid. Uh, what else? What, what have you got to play? 
Um, yeah, you can catch us on my channel here, normally on Wednesday nights. Uh, you can download the podcast. Wait, if you're watching this and have never downloaded the podcast, you can get it on rpgamer.com. And you might be talking to negative three human beings. That's but, true. Yeah. And <laughs> catch us on Sunday nights on twitch.tv slash askwheels for Sunday night shenanigans where we play random multiplayer games. Lately, it's been Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. So One day we'll finish that. Someday. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the rate we're currently going, we're probably like one or two sessions away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sunday night shenanigans. If you... Uh, would like to ask us questions, you can ask us on the stream itself, as Fireminer did tonight. Uh, thanks once again, Fireminer, for providing questions this week, uh, both past and present Fireminer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you can also uh, ask us questions in the comments section. No one has done that in many moons, but we still check it occasionally. Or you can ask us questions in the RP Gamer Discord, which you can join by going to uh, rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab. Find an invite. It's a lovely community with plenty to talk about, whether it be RPG or otherwise. And even if you don't intend to ask us questions, it's a good place to join. You should check it out. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, I think that wraps it up for us. So yeah. see you, Space Cowboy. See ya.